Well, today, just as a reminder, we are uh, back in the life of David, just to bring you up to speed if you're a visitor with us or if you've not been here uh, for a couple of weeks. We're looking at the life of this guy called David. David lived about 3,000 years ago, and he started his life as a young shepherd boy, but he ended his life as the king of Israel, perhaps one of its greatest kings. And so we've been taking a number of weeks to think about How did that happen? How did this young man uh, transform from being a guy out in the sheep, out in the fields with the sheep, uh, to being this great king? How was it that his his character had been moulded, changed, uh, from a guy who was playing his music to to sheep to a guy who was uh, leading this great king? going through experiences like defeating a great warrior, uh, leading a a great band of of desperate men sometimes, being a great military leader, experiencing great loss, great hardship. How did that make him to be this great king? And so if you're here last week, you may remember in in Ben's sermon how David had taken his 600 men and their families, and they'd gone to Israel's enemy, perhaps one of their great enemies. He had, through the pressure of being pursued by King Saul, through the wilderness of, uh, of Israel, up hill and down dale, through uh, close calls, he just felt that, I just can't keep doing this. I'm desperate. There has to be a way out. And so he decides to join Israel's enemy, the Philistines. And uh, in actual fact... He becomes their, the bodyguards of the, the king of, of Gath, the, this, this guy we've, we've heard about there, uh, Akish. Um, and by anybody's standard, that makes him a traitor. That makes him a traitor to Israel, um, a traitor to all that the, the prophet Samuel had said about him. And so in last week's passage, we see that David appears to, appears to be serving the king of Gath by attacking his enemies. In actual fact, he's quietly attacking the enemies of Israel and lying about it. Uh, but Akish thinks that David and his followers have, have now made themselves a complete and utter enemies of Israel. He's really happy. He's got this great commander. And they've become basically part of the Philistine military machine. Uh, he's trusting them to guard his, his very life. And that's where we, we get into chapter 29 today. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, hold on a minute, what about chapter 28? You've not talked about chapter 28. There's a very good reason for that. Chapter 28, it's a great chapter, a lot of fun things in there. Uh, but it hasn't got an awful lot to do with the life of David. Okay, now you'll see on the screen behind me it says the life of David. And so because it doesn't say a lot about the life of David, we're just skipping over chapter 28. At some point in the future, somebody presumably gets to do a one-chapter mini-series on Saul and the Witch of Endor, which uh, would be fun. Look out for that whenever it happens. But we're into chapter 29. So let's have a little look at what we're going to do uh, today with the... If I can just move this on... Steve, give it a push for me. There we go. So today we're going to be thinking about 
Whose side are you on? Whose side are you on? And we're going to look at four, uh, four sort of main points. They're in your uh, program there, so you can keep some notes. I'd encourage you to do that. Uh, first of all, the fifth column. We'll explain what that means. Uh, the fact that God rescues us when we are an idiot, sometimes. The nature of compromise, and then just really digging into this idea of whose side are you on. So the fifth column, God rescues us when we are an idiot, sometimes. The nature of compromise, and whose side are you on? So we're going to start off with the fifth column. And we're back into chapter 29. So the leaders of the Philistines are taking their armies to attack Israel. King Saul and the Israelites, they're already up there, ready to go. They're camped, they're ready for the battle. And the Philistine army is, is on its way up. And we can see there in verse 2 that the Philistine military rulers do what you will sometimes see the Russians do, the Chinese do, North Korea do. They have this big parade where all the army goes past in front of the leaders for their approval. Uh, we don't know whether they're doing all the fancy military steps and that sort of stuff, but all the armies going past for their approval. Uh, and David and his men have joined the, the Philistine army, were there with the men of Gath, uh, and David is now learning this really, really awkward truth. He's, he thinks he's pulled the wool over Achish's, I keep saying this right, Achish's eyes, with his stories of raiding the enemy. And it looks like he's genuinely convinced this guy that, that David and his men are totally loyal to him. And so he said, come and join the army, let's go. And that's understandable because the king thinks that David has been attacking Israel. He's been doing it for a while, so he doesn't think that's going to be a problem. He thinks that Israel now hates David because of this. They see him as a traitor. And so he says, look, come and join the army, come and join the Philistine army, we're going to go and attack Israel. The word awkward does not in any way capture this situation. It is way past awkward. So the leaders are there, the Philistine troops are going past. And the other, have you ever done this with your friend? You know, you know something goes wrong, and your friends sort of look at you like, and you know they've done that, and you're kind of trying to ignore them a little bit and sort of, you know, oh, yeah, yeah. And that's what's going on here. The four kings are looking at him and like, and he's like, what? And they uh, excuse me. You know, I mean, you know, you know, do you get, do you get what is happening here? We are going to attack Israel. And at the end of the army here, there are, a group of guys from Israel. And we're going to attack Israel and these guys here from Israel. It's like, yeah, so? It's like, don't you get this? This is like terrible. And they're like, I oh, know, you know, I mean, you know, he's been with us for, he's been with us for a year, you know, and he's been attacking Israel and he's all okay. The kings are worried that David and his men will attack the Philistine army even as the Philistine army is attacking Israel. This is called a fifth column. Okay? The phrase is coined in the Spanish Civil War in the 1930s. The, uh, the nationalists are attacking Madrid, and a Spanish general who was about to attack the city of Madrid was attacking with four columns. 
And he said, he said, they said, are you confident? He said, well, yeah, I've got the four columns, but I've got a fifth column of people inside the city that when the battle starts, they will attack my enemy and they will help me defeat them. Uh, and this phrase quickly caught on. It was used throughout the Second World War and, and all the time afterwards. So the leaders of the Philistine army are worried that David and his men are a fifth column. In actual fact, to get back in Saul's good books, they will attack the Philistine army when the battle starts. Or maybe it's a critical time in the battle. And Akish is like, no, no, they're cool. You know, they've been fighting for me. Actually, we're all okay. Verse 3, you can see that. I found no fault in him. The other four kings are no way, mate. No way. He's waiting to turn on us. Verse 5, you do remember the song that they've been singing for all these years about how David has killed tens of thousands of Philistines. That's us. And Akish has to give away to, to his fellow leaders. It looks like he's not a total monarch in this way. Uh, he needs their support. We don't know whether that's just because they've got lots of men that he needs to attack Israel or whether there's some kind of relationship between those rulers. We don't quite know. Uh, so verse 6, Akish has to apologize to David to say, sorry, you can't come with us to attack Israel. And this, this strikes me as being a bit funny, okay? Uh, because, because here he is, Akish has been defending David to, to his fellow king three times. He defends David. And David doesn't want to be there. He doesn't want to be attacking Israel. The only reason he's there is because he was told he had to be. And then he even, even more bizarrely, David, verse 8, pretends to be all outraged and all huffed up. What do you, what do you mean I can't come with you to, to attack Israel? I've been a loyal servant. Shut up, David. Just go home. You've, you've dodged a real bullet. Why? Oh, no. Oh, how dare you impinge my good reputation as a Philistine military leader? He has got off scot-free because he has not had to fight either Israel or the Philistines. And not only that, he's been able to do it by main, whilst maintaining his good relations with the king. And so this is where we can start to get into and see some of the lessons that I think David learned, and perhaps, perhaps I, I trust we can learn some things in our own lives. The first thing is about what we call the sovereignty of God. What we mean by that, it's a big word, how God acts in order to do things, to arrange things in a way he wants to, in the way that will meet his purposes. David, what, what is going to happen to David here? Think about, just think about David's situation. Put yourself in David's situation. If he refuses to fight Israel, he's going to be branded uh, a, a double agent by, by the Philistines. He's going to be seen as a coward. He's going to be seen as really, really ungrateful to this Philistine king who's taken him in, who's given him a, an honoured place, who's trusted him, who's given him a town as a base to operate from, Ziklag. But on the other hand, if he, if he does attack Israel, then David is going to go from being this beloved leader uh, in, in the in country, this, this guy who's going to become the, the king, to being a traitor to his God, to his people. people are not, how are going to, people are going to accept him as king after that? It's just not going to happen. 
Now, we don't know what solution David had come up with himself at this point. We don't know how he would have gone ahead. Would he have attacked Israel? Would he have attacked the Philistines? But bear in mind, Achish is expecting David to actually go into battle on the side of the Philistines. David has been trapped in this trap that he has made himself. Yeah, you can imagine the conversation, uh, you know, the, the Philistine king. Uh, okay, David, all the army's going out. We're going to, uh, you and the lads are coming with us, of course. Yeah, you know. Uh, where to? Oh, we're going to go and fight the Israelites. Uh, that's not a problem, is it? You know, I mean, you, you have been attacking Israel for months and months now. Uh, you know, you've clearly betrayed Saul. Uh, anyway, you said, you know, that, that you, you all hate them now and you've been attacking them. That's okay then. Good, good, well, we're all sorted out. Let, let's go. You know, how does David get out of this trap, this, this, this thing that he has created by being just a bit too clever for his own good? He knows he's going to be the king of Israel, the leader of God's people, but because of his compromise, he's found himself in the position where he's going to have to fight against them. Have you ever done that? We use the expression sometimes, painted yourself into a corner. Have you ever painted yourself into a corner? Literally, maybe, or you know, you've done something for the very best of reasons, something that really makes sense. As David did, it made a lot of sense to him to do this, to go over to the Philistine, to lie to Achish, so that in actual fact it looks like he's his best mate. And yet, this by doing that, you find yourself in a terrible position where you cannot see the way out. For David, the situation is perhaps even worse because he's not just trapped, but he's trapped on the wrong side. He's trapped with his mortal enemies. I have no idea what David would have done if God had not intervened. What what would he have done? Would he have attacked Israel? Would he have attacked the Philistines? Made an excuse? (coughs) Oh, sorry, uh, (coughs) me and the lads, me and the 600 lads, we've just come down with something quite virulent. Uh, we're just going down to Boots to get some Imodium or something just to sort ourselves out, you know. See you after the battle. We're about there. Sorry. Um, we don't know. We don't know because God rescues him. Even though David has been very foolish to get himself into this situation, God rescues him. And we can certainly count this as another occasion when God saves himself, not saves David, not with mighty crashes of thunder and with uh, great pronouncements, but in actually a very ordinary way, by arranging circumstances in such a way that will save his servant. In fact, God is not mentioned in the chapter really at all, apart from, apart from just where uh, Achish is saying, uh, He's using the Lord as a, as, a, as a word, as an illustration. It's not, God doesn't actually speak, and yet he is acting throughout it. Just because he's not men- mentioned, it doesn't mean he's any less active. It doesn't mean it's not an act of God's mercy. In fact, it's particularly merciful when you think how he got into the situation in the first place. And the rescue is perfect. It is a perfect solution. Who else but God comes up with something like this? The fact that David's enemies actually save him. David's enemies, by spotting the fact that he maybe is a fifth column, say, no, okay, go home. So he doesn't have to attack Israel. He doesn't have to attack Philistines. He's just saved. 
One writer, Dale Ralph Davis, says that not only does God prepare a table for us in the presence of our enemies, which is from the Bible, but sometimes he gets our enemies to prepare the table for us. And this must have increased David's trust and faith in God. It must have just seemed to David like this great deliverance out of this situation. Was he thinking about this when he wrote things like, even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Was he thinking about it when he said, wrote, I, when I lift my eyes up to my hills, where does my strength come from? Certainly God gives David a way out of the situation without sinning. That we, we see that, we read about that in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Surely this gave David a greater appreciation, an even greater appreciation for the mercy of God. Yeah, let's be clear, that does not always happen. You cannot go through life just relying on God to rescue us when we're an idiot. Later in David's life, David commits adultery with Bathsheba through his own stupidity and there is no rescue from God. It is a disaster. People die. People David care about die. So we shouldn't be surprised when God uses startling events to save us. Praise God, that is fantastic. We should be super thankful. Uh, we met some folks uh, last week when we were on our way to Cayman. This guy needs a uh, a bone marrow transplant. On all the international register, there were no matches at all. His sister got tested. His sister is 100% match, as if she were a twin sister. She's not a twin sister. The doctors were astonished. We should not be surprised when God uh, turns up and rescues us, but we cannot take it for granted. We cannot treat him like the fifth emergency service who's going to be there to just rescue us when we need it. Can't you treat him like a, shop, a slot machine? God does rescue us when we're an idiot, but only sometimes. But one writer points out there's actually a double rescue here because as, as David is sent home from this self-inflicted trap, he also leaves the, leaves the Philistine army early so he doesn't cause any more offence and upset. So he arrives back in Ziklag sooner. We see that at the beginning of chapter 30. Now we're going to really get into chapter 30 next week. The beginning of chapter 30 really is, is part of the arc of next week's story. But, but, but it's worth just touching in here. But David and his men, because they've left early in the morning, they get back sooner, and so they're able to pursue the folks who've, who've attacked uh, Ziklag and Ruth with, his, with all the families and stuff. And we'll talk about that more next week. Um, now, now, some folks will, will say, well, they, that, that attack is actually part of the, the price of David's compromise. That's part of what has happened because he was stupid enough to get into this position in the first place. There might be some truth to that, but um, David has often gone off and raided different nations, both while here with the Philistines and even when he was in Judah. He would go and attack other, other places. So it could have happened a number of times. I, I don't want to draw too good, a, too close a link between this compromise he's made and this, what's happened to his, his family and his men's families here. Uh, I think that's more to do with David's, what David had to learn about how you respond to disaster, how you respond to God's comfort. But we'll see that next week.
Uh, and so then I think the, 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 second, the second thing that David was really learning about was the nature of compromise. It's not a good thing. Can we summarize it that way? Uh, once again, God has saved David. And God has arranged his troop review to highlight the fact that what everyone else actually realizes, you know, you're a group of Israelites in the Philistine army. It doesn't work. It's a huge risk to David and his men too, let's be honest. But David's compromise, for what he felt with the best of reasons, has meant he is sitting down He's more than an ally. He's part of the enemy's war machine. He's compromised what he felt with the very best of reasons. And yet he's put himself into an impossible situation. We may have done the same. Perhaps we put ourselves certainly in a difficult one. A situation where we may feel that all the options only lead to sin and to bad things. As, we'll read in, as we can read in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, there is always a way out. But the problem is when we compromise, it is likely to lead to further sin, just as David did when he ended up killing Uriah after the affair with Bathsheba. Compromise leads to sin, leads to further sin. Compromise leads to lies. Back there in 27, we can see David lying to Ashes about, yeah, I've, uh, I've gone and attacked Israel. And he actually he's going to attack someone else. Uh, even there in verse 8 in our, in, our, uh, in our passage today, David says, but what have I done? What have you found against your servant from the day I came to you until now? Why can't I go and fight against the enemies of my lord the king? Okay, he's not actually telling a lie, but he's certainly not telling the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. That's for sure. Even in spite of God's rescue, David is still trying to maintain the compromise at this point. Compromises always demand a higher and a higher price. As you go through, in some ways, one way or another, David thought he was just swapping sides. Now he finds he's been asked to attack God's own people. It's like paying hush money to the mob. It always gets worse and worse and worse. It never gets better. Is always a higher cost. Now, remember, we're not talking about compromise in terms of two people coming to uh, from opposite opinions, meeting each other in the middle, so to speak, you know, coming to a friendly agreement about a hedge or something like that. David is someone who has totally, has compromised with someone who is totally opposed to his position, to everything about him. There is no common ground here to be reached. Ironically, the, the, the other Philistine military leaders knew that. They, they knew the, the, the Israelites, the Hebrews, they'd been attacking them for years. They knew what the deal was. Yet David had been able to pull the wool over Achish's eyes. The people around us may spot our compromises. They may spot that in some way we have sat down with our enemies, with the people we shouldn't have done, whatever we're going to call that. Don't be surprised if they react in that way but the compromise is even worse 
His comprise is even worse because David is a leader. David is a military leader. He's brought with him 600 men and their families into this compromise. They've made a deal with those, David has made a deal with those who oppose God, and that is a terrible thing, but it's multiplied the problem because there's all these folks with them. It's a great illustration of the responsibility that leaders have, particularly the leaders of God's people, to, to not compromise. The damage is not just on them, it is on their followers. And I think, in part, that's why we see uh, David's men seriously giving some thought to stoning him in, in, in verse 6 of chapter 13. Part of the reason they're upset is you've brought us into this situation, David, into this compromised situation. But we'll talk about that more next week. Again, I believe David learned his lessons the hard way. After this, we do not see David behaving in this way. We do not see him make these kind of compromises. In fact, quite the opposite. When David becomes king, he goes to ruthless war with his enemies to conquer them. When he becomes king and he starts writing the Psalms, he writes things like this. He writes, uh, this is Psalm 26. He, he writes, say, I hate to sit with the evildoers. I hate to sit with the evildoers. He knows what the cost is. He has been there. So what are you being tempted to compromise on? Or what have you compromised on? Trust me, it will be a bad idea, a long spiral downwards. Sinning to get out of your problems is not the right solution. There is another solution. Talk to your Christian friends, talk to uh, look in the Bible, to look for places you will find a solution from that. And that kind of prompts us the question then in terms of, and the main point here maybe is, whose side are you on? Whose side are you on? David has learned an important lesson about loyalty. He's learned an important lesson about compromise. He'd forgotten whose side he was on. Forgotten he was supposed to be the, working towards being the king of Israel. He's felt under pressure and he's made this, this bad decision. It is only the grace of God that has avoided him burning all these bridges with his people and messing up. And you say, well, okay, Ian, <clears throat> I don't have an enemy like that. What do you mean compromise with an enemy? What do you mean sides? Who, who can I compromise with? I, I have no enemy. Now, you all know my favourite TV show is NCIS, right? Uh, if you don't know that, that is a, an American TV show where uh, investigators and detectives who work for the US Navy investigate various crimes. It does seem to be, to meet the demands of the show, it does seem to be quite a crime-ridden place, the US Navy, but that's because you've got to you know, have a fresh show every week. You know. So no, it, usually what happens is uh, if there's been a murder or there's been a fraud or something like that, the detectives come along and they talk to the relatives of the victim. And they say, at some point, they ask the question, do they have any enemies? People they don't like. And the relatives say, no. Everybody loved them. They were great. But then, of course, it turns out, because otherwise, yeah, I wouldn't have a show. Then, of course, it turns out, of course, they did have enemies. And just their relatives hadn't realised. In actual fact, there was somebody who'd done something nasty 
and the rest of the show goes on and yada 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 <coughs> folks <coughs> like the relatives in the show you might not realize it but we all have enemies we all have enemies and the bible puts them into three categories firstly the world by the world it means the parts of the world that do not follow jesus so we're talking about people who are not christians perhaps parts of society that have been corrupted uh, some of the things that have been created even the bible calls that the world secondly ourselves have you ever heard the phrase i am my own worst enemy sometimes that is true uh, the nature we are born with opposes God. We have uh, a sinful nature. We naturally rebel against God, uh, against what God wants us to be, against what God wants us to do. That is called sin, and that is our own nature. The third enemy is the devil. Newsflash, folks. Jesus was very clear that Satan, the devil, is real, that he hates us, that he wants to dominate us. He's not all powerful. Let's be clear, we cannot lay everything bad that happens to us at the feet of the devil, far from it. But sometimes that's true. And so those are my three enemies. The world, my own sinful nature, and the devil. And those are your three enemies. So if these are our enemies, who stands on the other side? Who stands on the other side against them? Jesus does. Jesus, the champion of heaven, the star of morning, the prince of peace, the lord of the universe, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the eternal one who was there at creation, who will be there at the end of all things, the judge of the living and the dead, our lord and saviour. He is the one who stands opposite and against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And he stands in active opposition. Jesus has acted and continues to act to oppose our enemies. He came to earth, sent by God the Father, in order to call us to himself. He resisted the temptation of Satan. He showed the world its sins and its flaws, and he taught us that God did not intend for us to stay with this sinful nature, and so these enemies killed him. They cruelly put to death their great enemy, Jesus. They killed him on the cross in cruel agony, but he is stronger than them. Jesus rose from the dead, defeating his enemies and showing us forever by rising from the dead that he is greater than they are, that we can put our trust in him, calling us to believe in him, to turn away, from that rebellion, from that sin, to follow him. And so he wants to know, whose side are you on? Whose side are you on? Notice I say whose side, not which side. Whose, because there are personalities involved there. Are you on the side of Jesus? Or are you on the side of the world, our sinful nature, and the devil? There are only two sides. And many people will stand with the world, with their sinful natures and the devil, and they always have. Perhaps that's because they've never heard about Jesus. Perhaps they've not understood if they heard about Jesus. Perhaps 
They cannot believe Jesus, they feel, in some way, and who he is. Perhaps they're following another religion and they're struggling to give it up. Perhaps they're worried about what their families will say if they follow him. Perhaps they believe lies that have been told about Jesus. Perhaps that is you today. Others like David perhaps have compromised. They know that they should be on Jesus' side and yet they, they, in some ways they cannot give up what is their side. They think that they can live on the other side and that's okay. Perhaps, what they think, perhaps they think that what they've done is unforgivable. That Jesus could not forgive them. That is not true. Perhaps they have a lifestyle they don't want to give up. Maybe they, they think their friends will mock them because they're not in the in crowd. Perhaps they'd rather trust others rather than God. Perhaps they'd rather trust themselves rather than God. Perhaps they are too proud to admit that they need him, whatever it is. They've compromised, and so like David, they're in the enemy's camp. And perhaps that is you today. Or maybe, maybe you believe that somehow you've come to an arrangement with God. I, I've, I've, I've got an arrangement with God. Me and God, we're okay. You know, we're, we're, we're cool. We, we've, we've had a conversation, we've had a negotiation, we're okay. So it's okay for me to live a life like this because we've done a deal, you know. Um, you still want to be your own boss and in some sense you're claiming to acknowledge him and in some cases you're saying, no, I'm going to live my own life. Well, because you're his equal in some way, you think you can do that? In some way you think you're, you're, you can negotiate with God in that way? Upside you. I cannot urge you enough. I cannot be any clearer with you than this. There are only two sides. On one side stands Jesus, on the other side stands his enemies, our enemies. There is no middle ground. There is no room for negotiation. There is no compromise that can somehow allow you to live like one side but, but acknowledge the God who's on the other side. Jesus said, who is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. If you do not believe the good news that the Bible tells us, if you're not turned away from that sinful nature towards Jesus as best that you can, then you stand against him. And Jesus has paid a staggering cost to bring you to himself. He has paid with his own precious life He did that to buy a people for himself, to gain a people for himself. Those who stand on the side of Jesus have their sins forgiven, have the Holy Spirit uh, to fight that sinful nature, to fight Satan's attacks. They've been adopted as God's children. They're called together out of the world into a local church that can love them and support them. They get to spend eternity with God, the Father, and with Jesus, and with the Holy Spirit, and those who haven't put their trust in Jesus and have not turned away from their sin, don't. They will die as enemies of God and spend eternity condemned to hell. And perhaps you are here and you're a Christian who's been tempted to compromise, to live on that other side of that line whilst pretending to stand with Jesus. Do not. You cannot compromise with God. Learn your lesson from David. Your compromise will trap you and the price will become higher 
and higher and higher. And you cannot rely on God turning up to save you. So whose side are you on? There are only two. Bear in mind, the, 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 the world, our sinful nature and the devil want us to believe that there are many sides, that there are many grey areas, that we can navigate a custom-built spirituality, uh, or that it doesn't matter, or that we don't have to sort it out right now because there are more important things to sort out, like uh, bringing up the kids, like having a better education, whatever. They want us to believe that being on Jesus' side is not in our best interest. Or that there are no sides at all. And Jesus is a myth. Or he's certainly not divine. He's not modern enough, anyway. Because if they can persuade us of that, then we're still on their side. We're still over their side. We just don't realise that we're on their side. There are only two sides. On one side stands Jesus, on the other side is enemies. Whose side are you on? Whose side should you be on? What are you going to do about it? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is a light to our feet. In this case, quite literally. That it can provide for us guidance. Guidance... Ah, Lord, that we would not compromise. That we would not compromise in the way we live our lives. That we would look to the gospel for its, its incredible resources. That we would use those resources to live a life which is totally and clearly on Jesus' side. Lord, if we're here and we're Christians, we pray that we pray that course that we will never be the same again. That we have closed that door. And Lord, if we're here and we're not Christians, Lord, I pray that for the very first time someone would turn their back on their enemies and go to the only one who can save them, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, and there are clever arguments and there are things that we can read and think about, but at the end of the day, it comes down to this, that Jesus died to save us, to pay the price for our sins so that we can be forgiven and live a life reconciled with God if we believe in him and we turn away from those enemies. Lord, help us to believe that and to live like that in our lives. Thank you, Lord. Amen.